Let's get some life from God's word today. Today we're going to be coming from Haggai or Haggai, however you like to pronounce it. Um, I don't know if there's any other way to pronounce it. Haggai, uh, I have no idea. We grew up saying Haggai, uh, Haggai. I'm probably just going to say Haggai today because it's easier to say it that way. Uh, but today we're going to be in Haggai. Specifically, we're going to focus in chapter one. It's only two chapters. But the reason that I want to be coming from this particular portion of scripture today is to help set us up for not next week, but the week after when we start our Legacy Builders series where we're going to be walking through the book of Nehemiah. And why it's so important that we are in the book of Haggai today is because the two are so closely linked in the timeline in their association with the people of Israel at the time, with the prophetic words and the way God is moving. So we're going to open that up. Haggai chapter one will obviously start in verse one. But before we get there, the question that I want to ask you for you to think about, and this is going to be good. If you're watching online, this is going to be really, really good. Here it is. Is it better to attend church in person or online? I just made all the people in this house feel real good about themselves and all the people at home watching right now feel bad about themselves. And that's not the intention. But I do want us to think about that question. Here's why. Right now in this post-COVID-19 globally affected pandemic, there are a lot of ifs, buts, I don't knows, how should we's in everyday life. Whether or not we go to the grocery store or start using Amazon's online grocery shopping services. I don't do that. Um, whether or not uh, we decide we should, here, here's the one I want to focus on, go to the gym or not go to the gym. I was having a conversation with a pastor the other day who, who said it was so good to be back in the gym for the first time. And I didn't even realize gyms had opened up. Me, who has loved going to the gym because I had already made a decision. I'm not I'm not incredibly fearful of COVID-19. I'm not saying I'm, I'm stupid about it, but I'm, I'm not going to let my life be ruled by fear. Um, but that being said, the gym is one of the most unsanitary places you can be. And I don't have a problem with it. You're 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 sweating, you're dripping, you're touching barbells and iron, you're wiping it all over your face and it's disgusting. You're getting germs all over you. You're walking all over and sitting on people's seats where they just been and getting sweat. I don't care. That's why I know I can't go back to the gym because I don't care. And I will much more greatly increase my risk of getting COVID-19. And I can't do that to this church. Then you'll be without a pastor. So, so there's that, that question, do, do I even do that? And that's why my wife and I were building the home gym. And, and it's funny because the conversation that I had with this, with this pastor of mine, he, he made the statement specifically that I don't have the discipline if I do it at home. And there's kind of that idea behind it, like, this is home. This is where I relax when I come home from work. I get in my chair. I turn on the TV. I eat dinner, whatever it is. This is a place where I relax. I don't do work here. I think that's kind of the mentality that I thought of in the past before, too. But now I need to decide whether or not going to the gym or working out at home serves me in the best possible way. Now, what about church? 
What about literally the gathering, the in-person gathering or the online gathering? Here's first and foremost what I will say. I am so grateful to God that we can broadcast our services to have such an incredible maximum reach to the world. It is our primary tool to witness to people in this season. Believe me, because I want to be doing so much. I've been reaching out to school districts saying, what can we do? Getting no responses, which probably just means that there's really nothing we can be done. I've been talking with other pastors saying, what are you guys doing to be salt and light in the community? What's your reach in the community? They're like, the shoulder shrug is just the standard across the board right now because they're, everybody's confused. The secular realm is confused, and everybody's moving at such a snail's pace because they're trying to be careful, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but where does that leave us? We have such a reach through our online community. So again, if you're watching online, I would encourage you, use this tool, and we would ask you if you feel led by God that this message or any past messages would, would communicate a life-changing experience with somebody in your reach, Share this message. Use the tools that you have right now. This is a tool for you to use to further the gospel. And the same for all of us here today. But, but knowing that it is a good thing, when does it become a bad thing? When does the freedom that we've been given to be able to have such a maximum reach, and, and let me also say this, it's beautiful because for those that are sick, for those that are shut in, for those who can't get out, I thank God for this. So if you're stuck at home right now because you're sick, you're hurting, uh, you, you, just, you can't because of the living situation, whatever it is, thank God that you are a part of this community online right now. And church, I'm thankful that, that you and I have that privilege and that ability to be able to use this. So those two things aside, when does this online ability to gather now transgress the line of good to bad. And that's, that's really what I want us to consider today. So let's open up God's word. Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And it says this. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Here it is. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Catch that. I need you to understand that. This is what the Lord Almighty says. So as soon as we see that, we think, okay, God's saying something. And now it's, here's what God says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So the Lord, speaking prophetically through Haggai, is introducing us to the problem that was present in the Israelite community at this time. And God is saying, my people are going around saying, it's just not time to rebuild the house of the Lord. So today, let's talk about the house of the Lord and what it means and its purpose for us. First thing that we need to understand about this contextual background of the book of Haggai is this. The Israelites 
had been led off into captivity once again because of their many years of disobedience. And they were in Babylon originally, but then Babylon is taken over by the Persian Empire. And King Cyrus at the time was the king who received a vision from the Lord to allow the Israelite people who had for many years now once again been in captivity as foreigners and aliens away from Israel, they're away from Jerusalem, the, the nation of Israel, their homeland. Now God speaks through this pagan king and says, I want you to let my people go back so that they can rebuild the temple. And so the Israelites, as we're going to see in a few moments, not yet, but in the book of Ezra, have the freedom and the capability to go back to their homeland to rebuild the temple of God for that very purpose. And they go back and they get started on rebuilding the temple. But then here's the problem. We, we read in the book of Ezra and as we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah that during the rebuilding process, the Israelites faced opposition. And they faced persecution. And then here was something else that happened. King Cyrus, the king who had the message from the Lord and who gave the people the freedom to go back, the freedom to be able to build the temple, no longer was the king. And actually a few kings went by at this time. And now, 16 years later, after going back to their homeland to rebuild the temple, there's a new king, King Darius. And throughout these 16 years, the building of the house of the Lord was put on hold. Opposition, change in leadership. Here's the first thing that I want us to understand. It's not a point that you're going to see on the screen, but let me say it this way. The people of Israel were assessing, listen to me, the political and the economic climate and making a decision. Here's their decision that... Now is just not the time. It's not the time to get our hands dirty. I mean, look, since we came back, we've received nothing but opposition from the inhabitants of the land. They keep the work of the Lord. It's not convenient. In fact, it's outright difficult to right now. That's number one. Number two. I mean, the guy that gave us the freedom to do this, who isn't even one of our own people, he's not even in leadership anymore. So if we step out right now, who knows what the new guy's going to do and coming against us? They were allowing this, this political and economic cultural mindset to drive them to be impotent, to be paralyzed, to stay stagnant and not move. You see, they allowed worldly circumstances to determine their spiritual obedience. That's a problem. And here's ultimately what we see. We see a refusal to invest in the house or the temple of God, which was an outright denial of a need for the presence of God. Because we got to talk about that for a second. What in the Old Testament did the temple, the house of God, represent for the people of God? When we go all the way back to the book of Exodus, when, when God instituted the Mosaic law through Moses, he specifically gave Moses the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And it was in this meeting that the presence of God came down. And then he continued to reveal what the temple of God, the pattern, the foreshadowing of what it would look like one day under King Solomon ought to be. 
And that's where we have the outer place, the outer sanctum. Then you have the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was set, where the high priest once a year would go in. And what was so significant about the Holy of Holies was the Ark or or the seat of the top of the covenant was considered the throne of God on earth, which meant God resided his manifest presence, a transcendent, almighty, eternal God came to be amongst his people in the holy of holies. And in the Old Testament, we see this idea of, of, a, of a cloth tent. It wasn't a building. It was meant to be movable and mobile. It wasn't until later under King Solomon, when the nation of Israel was established, that God, through Solomon, built this incredible, permanent, ornate, beautiful, the likes of which were never seen, temple. But the whole reality of the temple itself was so that the Israelites could have an encounter with God so that they can say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to experience you. That was the significance of the temple in the Old Testament. Now, they had been sieged. They went as slaves and captives back to Babylon And the Babylonians destroyed this temple. The one place where God says, you come and you make sacrifice and I will reside and you will encounter my presence. So now they're in a foreign land. They're trying to worship God, but they're not able to experience God the way that they needed to. And now finally, after generations, God says, I'm going to send you back so that you can rebuild the temple and have community with me once again. And they go back. And now because of opposition and a change of leadership, they allow themselves to become crippled from moving forward in the way that God intended them to move forward. And here's what ultimately is happening. They know the importance of their spiritual obedience to rebuild the temple. But because they allow culture at large to dictate their actions, now they are not just saying it's inconvenient. Now they're moving so forward as to say, well, you... God, maybe your presence just isn't that important for me right now. Even if they weren't saying that, that's implicit in their actions. A downright refusal to say, God, I'm not going to obey your command to build your temple so that I can have communion with you means, well, then maybe there are some things that are just a little bit more important than that in their lives. And now I don't need it. Two things we need to stop doing, two action points that we as a church, I believe we need to stop doing, not necessarily that we're doing it badly here, but in general, we need to remember that I think that the big C church at large has been facing long before COVID-19 happened. Ready? Here it is. Number one, stop letting culture determine your level of obedience. Stop. Take a look at Ezra chapter one, verses two through four. It says this. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build the temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. 
And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So all the way back at the mark of the Israelites' ability to now no longer remain captives as aliens and strangers, now God has given them the ability to go back to restart their lives and to have communion with God. He did that not only through a pagan. Listen to me. He did it through the most unlikely individual, the very leader of the country that had enslaved them. Now God works through that individual as an instrument. He also, through that individual, makes the decree that anybody who has contact with any of the scattered people of Israel, you give them clothes, you give them money, you give them livestock, you give them the ability to rebuild their land so that they can worship God. This is too good to be true. The Israelites were given complete provision, listen, so that they can fulfill the express purpose for which they were returning to Jerusalem to build the temple. Why? So that they could have communion with God. That's so important. That's the only reason that they were allowed back into Jerusalem by God's divine providence, and they were well provided for. So for us, here's what I think. It's really easy for us to come up with reasons why not to act. Inconvenience is no excuse. You know, I just, I'm not feeling the timing's right. You know, God, you, you know what I'm saying? You see what's going on in my life. Timing right now is just off. Give me a month. Give me a few years. Wait for this individual. Wait for me to get out of this relationship. Let them make the mistake. Wait till this, you know, falls in place at work. Then I can start following you the way that I don't make enough. You know, God, you, no, God, I'll really be able to start serving you once I can get out of this neighborhood. Because, you know, with, with all the people that I grew up, it's just too hard. Because I don't want them to think of me a certain way. And, and I, I, I just, I, I can't give up these things in my life right now because of the implications it would have because of where I live. God, when, when the economy becomes stable, God, when everything in our country works itself out, then I'll do what you want me to do. No, God, how about this? When people start to respect me the way that I deserve to be respected, then I'll start serving you the way that you want me to serve you. But I need some respect first, so there's that. Or when the right person's leading the nation. God, when you put the right person, this person that I love, only then... Can I really serve you? We've got a problem. We've got a problem if we are not limiting the sovereignty of an omnipotent God who in this scripture worked in such divine ways so as to work through a pagan king, the very means of the Israelites' captivity. God says, I'm going to take what the enemy meant for evil, and I'm going to turn it for good. I'm going to take that which shackled you, and now it's going to provide for you. And they went back. But then they stopped serving because of these inconveniences. And we see here a betrayal of conviction, which leads me to my second point that I need you to listen to me very carefully on because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm about to say. But the second thing that we need to stop doing is this. Stop making cultural issues personal issues. 
please listen to what I'm saying to you right now. Because there is a world out there right now that is hurting. And that's the truth. But listen to me more carefully. There's another agenda behind what you see on your screens. I don't have my phone. And we got those screens with us everywhere. Social media, every app, CNN, Fox. There is an agenda And don't think that because I'm white, I'm leaning one way or the other. I'm saying there's agendas on both sides that, listen to me, are not godly oriented. CNN is trying to glorify God? You think that Fox is trying to glorify God? You think that Facebook is trying to glorify God? No. They've got an agenda to line their own pockets. And they're going to do whatever they can to manipulate all of this world's thinking in order to be in line with them. This is a problem if the people of God get, if they get lost in it. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 1. This is Jesus. He says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. He's talking about the Pharisees. The biggest problem that you read through Matthew, I'm telling you, like one of the biggest things you see, Jesus always fighting with Pharisees. Always. Here's what he says. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. It's the idea of of leadership and right leadership because they're, they're embodying the Mosaic law, which was paramount for the Jewish people. He's saying these are the people in the seats of leadership. Verse 3, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Listen to this, but do not do what they do. Listen to the law that they preach, but don't do what they do. Oh, man. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them. So here we see a problem that Jesus calls out. The words of the leaders of the people of Israel are inconsistent with their actions. They're saying one thing, but they're living a completely other thing. Now, this is applied to Jewish leaders, but I take this text, and I'm going to transcend the boundaries of particular application and apply this to every human being on this world in leadership, Christian or non-Christian. I look at that verse, and I say, all right, I'm in a position of leadership in the church. I better practice what I preach. I better uphold the word of God. But now I'm taking it, I'm applying it outside. Why do we place so much faith in individuals that don't even adhere to the word of God when even in the word of God, there are individuals that claim to adhere to the word of God, but don't live the word of God. And we get so upset and so mad. And here's what we're doing. We're taking upon ourselves a pain and over at, listen to me at times an overemphasized pain an illegitimate pain that we got no need to take upon ourselves. We're so focused on the negative when God's saying, I'm the solution to the problem, and the world wants you to focus on the problem, and then you're never going to overcome the problem. We, we see a problem here. Not every problem is actually a problem. I'm going to say it that way, too, because, again, you've got to think about the motivation behind the, the major voices that are, that are running the world right now. 
and I'm not giving specific instances. I'm just giving you, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm giving you like a sieve. I'm giving you like a safeguard to be able to, to sift out the good from the bad. Like, like know that when you live with this attitude of understanding that there is an agenda behind individuals that are not adherents of the one true God, because we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And without God, we're going to keep living for ourselves. So I'm not trying to condemn these people, whoever they might be. I'm just saying they got a particular lifestyle that they live through. That's normal for them. I got to make money. I got to make sure that my family's well cared for. And I don't care what chump I have to step over in order to get there because that's my responsibility. That's a problem. But I can't sit here and say, well, you know, go to hell. I, you know, I can't say that because they don't know God. It's my job to show them God. But how am I able to show them God if I keep living according to their standards and their lifestyle and I look no different from them? Because every time they say get mad, I say, okay, I'll get mad. There, and listen to me, I'm going to finish this, this point by, by just saying there's a lot of things to be mad about. There is such a thing in scripture that is referred to as righteous indignation. When wrong is wrong, God expects you to be bad, wrong, mad about it. When people are falsely accused or imprisoned, you ought to be mad that sin in that moment is prevailing. But you want to know how God gets glory in that situation when we're able to respond, whether we're the ones who've been wrong or we have the ability to speak life into somebody who's been wrong and say, hey, listen, I affirm that you have been wrongly accused. And I agree with you that you should be willing to say that this is wrong. But here's how you speak out and show a different way, a higher way, a Christ-like way. I'm not going to remain in a lifestyle of anger and hatred towards you because Jesus was falsely accused. Jesus was unjustly wrong. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the greatest response that we can have. Not being pushovers and saying, you know what, let's not talk about that because I don't, I don't want the publicity. I don't want my friends to think that I have some sort of political leaning that, 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 that's different from theirs. No, no, no. It's being willing to say, hey, guess what? I know you. I know your attitude. I know the sin that you're living in. And let me tell you, the way that you're living, it is so wrong. The way that you treat me is so wrong. The way that you're treating people in this world is so wrong. But you know what? I'm not going to get down to your level. When you slap me, I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to call you out for what you are, but I'm going to exhibit love towards you in the meantime. But we will never be able to respond in that way if we are always allowing social constructs to feed us. If the secular culture is your number one source of, of, of nutrition, Facebook, CNN, Fox, those are the big ones. You fill in anything else. If that's your only source of nutrition, you're, you're, you're going to live a lifestyle in accordance with that. If you eat hate, you're going you're, you're gonna to exhibit hate. And jealousy and spite and anger and frustration. But if you're constantly having your source come from God, if he's your primary source, his word, this body, this gathering, where we will not allow discrimination to take place in this house, your life's going to be changed. Stop making cultural issues personal issues. All right, let's go back to Haggai. 
Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while, the, while this house, the house of the Lord, remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. I love that. It's like, think carefully before you move forward. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. There was so much that was just said there. The answer to the Israelites' problems that was just revealed in this verse was given us. So let me make the point, and then we're going to talk about it a lot. Ready? Dedicated provisions used for personal pleasure is spiritual fraud. Dedicated provisions used for personal pleasure is spiritual fraud. Let's talk about this for a second. First word that I want to point out is in the beginning of the word of the Lord that came through Haggai. He says that you yourselves are living in paneled houses while the house of the Lord remains in ruin. The word paneled there is the same word that we see used for cedar or wood, which is the same word that was used to describe what the glorious temple in its original form built by King Solomon himself was made out of. It was made of the cedars of Lebanon. That scripture describes it as. But then that, that, as we talked about, that temple was destroyed, and now they're back to rebuild it. And what's interesting is that God here is saying, all right, you were sent back to rebuild the temple, but instead of rebuilding the temple, you took the provision that I provided for you, and rather than building up my house first, you built up your own houses with the very provision that I provided you for the express purpose of building the house up. Oh, there's a problem here. And then God goes on. and it, Well, let me say it this way before I move on. No, I'm not going to say that. I'll save that for another day. That's another sermon. Whew. It's not that the people didn't have money. It's that their money wasn't going very far. It's not that the people didn't have enough food to provide. It's that the food was never enough to satisfy their hunger. See, right here, God calls out the people and he addresses their problem. He goes, I know you all have a problem that maybe you're not addressing. You're working, but the fruit of your labor is inconsistent with the amount of work that you're putting in. Modern translation, God, I am grinding day after day after day after day. And why don't I have anything to show for it? 
And God says, I'll tell you why. Because you took the very thing that I caused and was going to use to build up my house, which is what you needed from the first place, to have the ability to have community with me, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these will be given to you if you seek first. I gave you what you needed to seek first the kingdom of God, but as soon as things became difficult or inconvenient, COVID-19, I'm putting it right there. COVID-19, you know, and God says, and it's right there. That's the reason why. You work and 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 you just don't have enough to show for it. All of this, the re, I, I, here, here's my assumption. Here's really my assumption based on how I see the lifestyle of these people based on what God just said. All the, why would the Israelites do this? Why would they not remember the God that they serve that's already brought them back to their homeland, no longer as captives, with the freedom from a signed decree of the king that, captive, that held them in captive himself, saying, you've got the freedom to do it. Why would they then not obey the Lord? And my, my, my honest conclusion is simply based on our human desire and our human nature to find contentment. I, I just want to... I want to I want to I want to live that life. <laughs> yeah, I want to live my best life out here. I hate that phrase. I'm sorry. I'm just saying it's the phrase of my generation and the following. So I'm sorry if you say that. God bless you. Nothing wrong with you. I'm saying that. I, I hate that phrase. <laughs> uh, selfie best life. Um, yeah, <laughs> that just threw me off so much, man. So all I can think about are all those selfies. <laughs> It's like got a scripture, it's got something that has absolutely nothing to do with anything, but just out here living my best life, I'm like, swipe, I don't need to see that, Lord. Um, they were seeking to find contentment because it's our human desire, L- listen to me, it is in our created fabric. It is in God's design of us to have this unquenchable desire to finally feel at rest. God specifically created that in us. Why? So that he could be the object that fills that constant desire to just be at rest, to find contentment. We're created with that so that God can be our object. But here's what we do. We constantly look to the things in the creation rather than the creator himself to fulfill our innermost desires only to find that I'm eating, but I'm still hungry. I'm working, but I'm still poor. I'm clothed, but I'm still cold. What's the problem here? I'll tell you what the problem is. Contentment can only be found in God. That's it. That's it. Look, look at what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That is Jesus. That's it. That's the answer. Paul, who's been beaten for his faith, who's been falsely imprisoned for his faith in Jesus. Paul, who's been ridiculed and scorned by his own people. Not only was he a, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees that persecuted Christians and made Christians hate him after his conversion because of how much he talked that big talk like a Pharisee, and now he's living for the Christians. He's got the Pharisees against him, and I can only imagine he's got very few friends because you're always going to have the Christians looking at you like, I, I don't know if I could really trust this guy. I mean, he killed some of my own family, and now he's saying he's a Christian. He must have another agenda. I mean, I, I'd probably feel that way about Paul if he imprisoned and killed my own family. But then on the other side, you have the Pharisees who are like, what a sellout. Now he's, now he's living for that cause. He probably had very few friends. He was beaten, he was persecuted, he was whipped, he was stoned. And yet he says right there, it doesn't matter if I'm well off or I'm in need, if I'm healthy or I'm sick, I've learned the secret to being content. And the secret is I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Because I know what Jesus walked through. I know the persecution he faced. I know the reason why he came and he died and he rose again. That's my hope. That's what drives me. That's why I live. Contentment can only be found in God. All right, now, now, now we kind of got to transition a little bit to actually talking about the building. Kind of back to that question. Is it, is it better for us to attend church in person or online? It kind of has to do with this, this local gathering and this building and all that. Let me say this, and then I'm just going to read that. That's one more thing about verse, verse 8 specifically. Uh, verse 8 in Haggai chapter 1, said, Go up to the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And let me just say this. When it comes to God's house, God doesn't care about elegance. He cares about existence. And I just want to say that's like a little side subpoint, but it's so important because God was saying, you know what? It's not going to be the way that it was, the way that Solomon built it in all of its glory. So don't hold on to that and don't let that be a reason for you to say, no, what's the point? You know, I mean, I love the way that things were in my life in relationship with the Lord and my church family and my church building and the, and the pastor and the deacons and the leaders and, and, and whatever it is. I love the way it used to be. And because I know it's not going to be the way that it used to be, what's the point of even trying to build it back up? And God is saying it, it's, it's never been about how elegant. The reason it was so elegant at the time, because it was a reflection of your divine provision at the time because of your obedience. And you were the greatest nation on earth at that time because of your obedience. But now because of your constant disobedience, you've had to go through some stuff so that I can wake you up. And now I'm building you back up again. But the current condition of your life is going to be consistent with your obedience. And God says, stop making excuses as to why you can't. I don't care what it looks like. I just want it to be. So build it. All right, verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, listen, I, God, blew away. Why? That's what we want to hear right there. Why, God, why would you do that? 
Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house, with your own life, with your own work, with your own relationships at the expense of our relationship. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due and the earth its crops. Did you hear that? Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else in the ground produces, on people and on livestock, and all the labor of your hands. That's the last scripture I got for you. What a depressing way to end the sermon today. We're not going to stop there. Listen, that just introduced a very difficult subject that we as people of the Lord are constantly facing. It kind of has to do a little bit in the realm of, well, if God is who he says he is, if God is real, then why does evil exist in the world? Why does pain exist in the world? There are so many answers to that question that I do not have the time to discuss today. That's a sermon series in and of itself. But today I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to address a particular facet of that conversation. Pain in this situation is an indication that something is off and it needs to be addressed. Sometimes we look at pain as the epitome of evil. If pain, if, if there's pain and suffering, then there can be no God. You've got to revitalize your understanding of pain because a doctor would say, no, thank God you're feeling pain in this part of your body right now, because if you didn't feel pain in this part of your body, why, how are you ever going to address the need to come and see a doctor so that I can diagnose the problem? Otherwise, you were just, you, you had one foot in the grave already, and you were well on your way there. But because of the pain, you had the wherewithal, you had the wisdom to say, I've got to address something in my life. And so in this context, pain was used by God by allowing the Israelites not to experience all of the benefits of their labor because their labors were misused and misdirected. Here's the point. Sometimes God will use pain to remind you of your priorities. If you are watching online and you are facing something painful right now, I'm here to tell you that it might be, it may not be, but it might be the fact that God right now is trying to remind you of your priorities. I think works specifically for certain individuals, depending on what their job is like, where they constantly are just working mobily right now. There is become, okay, it seems nice at times, but then now there is a completely skewed line between my family, my God, and my work, where now work just predominates everything. Honey, don't bother me. I'm in a meeting right now. Daddy's got you. God, I don't have time. I, I, you know, because of the because of the freedom of of doing all of our meetings on Zoom, my boss wants me to be at 7 a.m. in the morning and at 7 p.m. at night. We're having meetings around the clock, so I'm sorry, God, I can't get to my word right now. God, I I can't go to church today. Do you understand what I've got to be taken care of? That's just one facet of it. And you're wondering, no, no, okay, it's hard right now, but if I just keep grinding, if I keep working, if I keep moving, things will get better. And we're not listening to the pain. 
because the pain is trying to introduce us to the fact that, no, 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 the problem isn't that you need to work more. The problem is your work. The problem is your relationships. The problem is your lack of relationships. The problem is your lack of interaction with humanity because you've become so self-absorbed in the fact that I'm good right where I am in my little bubble, in my little circle, and every single voice of opposition we are allowing to feed us, I can't go outside. I can't have interactions with people. I, I can't. You're watching online. You're in this house. Come on. Eventually, we got to call it for what it is. What's the house of God? Now we got to answer that question. What's the house? In the Old Testament, the house was the temple, the building. We talked about that extensively. The house or the temple represented the dwelling place of God's presence, a means to have relationship with the Lord. But here's what happened in the New Testament. Jesus came and it says in John, he dwelt or literally tabernacled, the same word for the in the Old Testament, he, the very divine presence of God, came and lived in the flesh, walked among us, touched our very lives. And when he died, right before he died, he said, I'm going away, but I'm sending another who will be with you, who will never leave you. He is your advocate. He's your helper. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of God. And now the Spirit of God, the very divine manifest presence of God, dwells within everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. So now the presence of God is not limited to a geographical position in a particular built-up structure but it is the people of God. But I want to take it a step further because I think the narrative right now is, well, I have the divine presence of God in me and I can just go and, and you know, I can go anywhere and experience God. There's truth to that. But here's what we talked about through our whole sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians. You are one part of the body that I think we miss so often. If you're online, listen to me. You are one part of the body. One part. You can't say that I don't need the eyes. You can't say that I don't need the hands. You can't say that I don't need the feet. <sighs> You're one part of the whole that serves a specific function. So while the divine word of God does dwell within you, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That word, it's, okay, specifically it says, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? And so we think of it singularly, but the word there is plural, even in the Greek language. You are the temple. We are the temple. So we have tried to say, I don't need community with the church. I'm good at home. Online suffices. I thank God for online. It does not, it, it cannot be used at one over the other. You can't. I'm sorry, you can't. You can't. I, I wanted to give psychological research and psych, uh, by, by psychiatrists and psychologists just about the realities of a lack of human connection that's even been happening right now in a COVID-19 world. Suicide rates have increased. Depression rates have increased. Addictions have increased. I mean, I was driving through a wall with my wife, and we saw the little purple flags that were representative of individuals who lost their lives because of overdoses. And they've radically gone up in a year. I, I, and literally, I'm just saying, just from common sense, without giving you the proven data and research, 
We've got a problem if we now try to table and put up on the shelf public meeting, specifically as the body of Christ. We've got a problem. So if, if this actual structure with ceilings and floors and walls and electrical and heating isn't now the temple of God, but we're the temple of God, what purpose does this serve? Here's the bottom line. The church building is meant to increase our range of motion, not impede it. Not limit our growth. This building, listen to me, this building or wherever a church gathers is always meant to increase our range of motion, our reach, our ability to handle the weight that God has placed in our hands. You know, having not been able to go to the gym for for months now, I've noticed a lot of parts of my body that were not just strong, but more flexible, have lost their ability to function the way that they did before. When I first started lifting and got into it in college, I I had some really bad shoulder issues with my rotator cuff and my elbows because I was just trying to throw up a lot of weight and I was hurting myself and didn't, uh, because I was trying to prove myself. And I realized early on that I'm not going to be able to sustain this that's healthy and good for me and it's a good hobby and I like it if I don't start addressing the smaller minor things that that are more of those things that nobody cares about like the rotator cuff and I kind of started to address it but then I started to let it go and then I started getting another problem anybody ever had tennis elbow before where you like can't even really grip or extend or anything I started getting that so bad so bad probably I don't know eight years ago something like that And then finally, I realized, you know, I try to do a lot of wrist exercises. The wrist isn't the problem. The rotator cuff is. Because the rotator cuff allows your mobility and your arms in your appendages to move and to act and to twist and to be able to maintain certain weights and standards in a very particular motion. And if this is weak, this part of the body is going to overcompensate for this weakness And now I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do. And also, I'm going to get hurt. So when it comes to the building of God, we need to understand that this serves to help further our gathering. It serves to help further our interactions with each other, not impede it. So I think there's two applications there. Number one, we think, well, church was always done this way. Or I really liked the way that the church building looked in this day. But is that furthering our reach into a community that has vastly changed? That's the first application. The second application is really what we're getting at with our big question. Why does the church building even matter? You know what function that an actual building serves? The freedom to be able to come together where two or three are gathered in my name. And listen, I'm not saying that God can't show up in an online platform. He certainly can, and he has, and I thank God for it. But now, to keep ourselves paralyzed in a false lie that's going, and I'm not saying COVID's a lie. I'm just saying this idea that we have to remain in this bubble of life. You are removing yourselves from being able to experience the very tools that God has placed at your disposal to increase your ability to grow in your relationship with others. 
you would not be able to receive the contact and the growth and the dedicated time. Listen to me. I'm looking out through all this place, and I know it's not always the, the case, but I, I see very few people on their phones and very many people taking notes. That's an incredible thing. If you go on your phone, I'm not here to judge you and make you feel bad. I'm just saying, being in this place, one of the obvious functions that it serves is your focus is dedicated to us talking about the word of God. I'm telling you right now, if you're at home watching week after week, you are so bored watching online right now. You are so overstimulated by being, if you're a Christian, you, you love to go and watch eight different churches. That's awesome, but now you're not able to appreciate just one aspect of it. Because that's what this overly technological world that we're living in, we can't stop. It is what it is, and there are benefits to it. But one of the implications of it is we cannot maintain and handle the information over dumping in our minds and in our lives. It overwhelms us. So that's just one practical aspect of why it's so important that we understand this building is the place where the body of Christ, where the presence of God can culminate. Because in this building, many can gather together. The many parts of the body of Christ are free to gather together in diversity, in freedom, in expectation, in love, in hope. This building, I, I, can, I can speak like this here. If we had a gathering over at MJ's, which I love, I, I couldn't speak the way that I speak here. I don't have the freedom to do that. I can't get up and just start shouting the gospel. They're going to kick me out. I think you had too much to drink. And I'm like, I'm just drinking water. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a problem. That's what this building serves. So listen, listen, listen. I, I know that we got really practical. I know that I didn't really address so much sin and so much reading your Bibles and all that. We, we talked in, in, in conclusion about a building, but it's so significant for us to understand. That's, that's why we're doing what we're doing in this house, because we value this house. We value this place. My point is saying that, okay, we may be the temple of God. I really want to clue there with, with that idea, well, if the people are the body of Christ, then you don't need a church. You can meet anywhere you want, all that. You know what? You only got it half right. Because how dare we take for granted the freedoms that we have that others could only hope for? Listen to me. We get so caught up in this world and everything that we, in this nation, in America, you go to a third world country, you're going to really open your eyes to say, you know what, maybe I better stop talking so much. And right now I'm talking about Christians. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about Christians. It's like, oh, we don't need that. Oh, you shouldn't believe that. That hinders your relationship with God. That's a limited view of, of your relationship with God. Keep talking. Keep talking. Go somewhere else and then come and have a conversation with me. You see how people don't have it as good as we have it. And then you come back and you keep talking like that. And we'll see if you keep talking. I thank God for this building. And so I'm going to invest in this building. And that's why we're taking a five-week series to walk through the book of Nehemiah to show the importance of preserving that which God has given us and furthermore, to leave something for the next generation. Because if we think it ends with us, we have not properly discipled the way that God intended us to. So can I ask you to stand on your feet this morning? I want to ask that our prayer team would come forward. I always want to give our, our congregation an opportunity. If you have needs, if you have things that you need prayer for, our prayer team is here for you. We will practice social distancing. Please feel free as needed. And again, if I can just say before we close in prayer, you didn't fill out a card, 
please, please, please uh, fill out one of those Connect cards in the back um, and so that we can have your information. And next week, we are going to start doing the registration. And if you weren't sure about it, still come on out. We're not going to turn you away. We just need to get ready for if and when God, you know, allows us to go to two services. So a lot of practical things that we had happen here in this house today, but we're going to close in prayer this morning and then send you on your way. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that it teaches us. I thank you for the extreme applicability of it to our lives. I thank you for the power that it has to transform us. And Lord, I pray that our minds would be transformed. We would be renewed in our thinking and transformed in our lifestyle. God, whatever it is that we've allowed the world to completely dominate our thinking pertaining to, God, purify it, I pray in Jesus' name. God, renew our thinking right now in this place in Jesus' name. Help us to understand the purpose of our, our, our honor it is to be representatives of you in this world as Christians. And I pray that we would not take that for granted. And I pray that we would ask ourselves, is my life and the actions that I'm taking in this life prohibiting or proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? Lord, I pray that we would renew our understanding even of public gatherings. Jesus, there is safe measures that there are safe measures that we need to take. There are things that we need to adhere to so that we're not foolishly taking for granted our health. And there, there is a virus out there. There's no question to that. But God, I pray that that virus would not become so powerful that it would limit the power that you exhibit, that you have always held, God. That's just, it's, 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 a, it's a plague, Jesus, that unfortunately has resulted from a fallen world. But God, you're the one who created this world. You're the one who created us. You know us. And Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for us to live for you. So I pray that nothing, no virus, no mindset, nothing would get in the way and hinder you and what it is that you want to do in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would not stop valuing our online gathering ability and our in-person gathering abilities. Let us not take either for granted in Jesus' name. Let us value both of them and give our very best to be able to uphold them. Now, Lord, I thank you, and Lord, I praise you. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day for those of you online. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we will see you all